0: Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Father, I pray for... uh for this evening, Lord, that you would help me. Just give me the words, give me the heart, give me the spirit, uh, direct and guide, and just let us um, remember we're one in the spirit, one with Lord Jesus Christ, and I thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen. It is good to be here, and it is somewhere in the 22 to 22 plus years, um, and I I equate that as because um, they were kids when they came the first time. And now they're in the range where I was when I started, and it's, it's strange, okay? It's strange. But we've had a long-term, uh, long-lasting relationship, and it's been very good, and God has really done a lot of things through that. I'm, uh, I'll apologize in advance. I'm a little scattered. I'm uh, nine weeks into the states, and I've covered um, eight states in almost every single time zone of the United States, going one way and then coming back the other way. And um, I'm towards the end of um, trying to cover ministries with all of our supporting ministries. I I, um, recently did a... uh, I haven't been to the States for three and a half years because of the pandemic. And um, as you know, Chris was caught in America for two years, and I was stuck in the Philippines for three and a half years. And so it was a long season of figuring out what God's going to do, but in the midst of all of it, God kept doing what we were normally doing on a regular basis day by day. Nothing changed when it comes to the things of God. But as I have made this full circle of doing what I need to do, I don't like the word itinerant because in most cases, when missionaries come home and they do itinerant, everybody thinks about staying home because it's Missionary Sunday or Missionary, because nobody likes to hear the missionary ask for money. And I made a promise with God when I went to the Philippines 28 years ago, I'll go wherever, whenever, whatever, forever, as long as you will promise me that you'll never make me a beggar. Never make me a beggar for the ministry, because people are not my source. God is my source. I come because of relationships. I become because... All of our supporting churches are families to us. We don't go where we're not invited. And every church that supports us is because someone led us to them and connected us in a family relationship. And so all of our supporting ministries are family to us. And so this was a relatively difficult season for me. After three years, I uh, had to go through ministry, places of ministry where, number one, I lost my best friend. Uh, in Louisiana, who was a pastor for 35 years. he's my best friend for the last 22 years. And you know, so being I was caught in the Philippines, I couldn't come home and I couldn't be there. And so I had to go because they're one of our supporting ministries. And I had to have my own closure. And it takes a toll when you think about coming to coming home anywhere, coming home and finding out, you know, One of your family members is gone. And so uh, I had time to spend there. And then before I left, I was asked to meet with their board of directors for the church. And I was still just rebounding from my time there. And they issued me a written proposal if I'd like to come back to the States and be a pastor for them. This is not why I'm here. And this, you know what? I'll have to tell you what. I'll talk to my boss, okay? But at this point, God has not rescinded the call upon my life for the Philippines. And so I would kindly recline and ask that you would continue, continue to search further for your new pastor. But it's, it was a hard time. I went to a missions conference. I've been going to the missions conference for since 2004, 2005. And I'd missed for three years, and so um, coming to America after you've been gone for a season of time is, you know, culture shock. There's a lot of culture shock, and economics, and the way people treat people, and still everybody's still stigmatism of post-pandemic protocols, and so it was very difficult for me, but I went to the new conference, missions conference, and um, I'm normally very comfortable because there's always been between 35 and 38 returning missionaries every year. And this year it was very different because there was 75 missionaries there. And it was like, I know I am a permanent affiliate missionary to the mission conference, but it was handled differently. And one of the missionaries, uh, pastors, my senior pastor there said to me, he says, how do you like the new format of how we, handled the presentation of our missionaries. They divided it in two groups, and you all stand up in front of the church, and you are given five minutes. Each missionary is given five minutes every evening of the service for the week. And I said, well, you know, I'm very uncomfortable with it because I feel like I'm at a marketing campaign. I said, because you've given us three to five minutes to present who we are, what we do, where we work, and what are our needs. And I said... Um, I'm very uncomfortable with that because I don't know if I want to be at the beginning of the line, in the middle of the line, or at the end of the line. I said, because what happens is if you're at the beginning or you're in the middle, everybody has to ante up their presentation. Everyone has to give a better presentation about what their story is, what their needs are, and why they're there. And I said, I feel like I'm marketing myself or marketing the ministry, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell you how much money I need. I just want to tell you that all missionaries need finances because the gospel cannot go on without finances. And I was reminded by a statement I'd like to share that was written long ago by Oswald J. Smith, and it's regarding missions. Missions. It says, if I refuse to give anything to missions this year, I practically cast a ballot in favor of the recall of every missionary. If I give less than their heretofore that I have given in the past, I favor the reduction of the missionary forces proportionate to my reduced contributions. Are you with me? You don't have to be serious. Please don't be serious with me. If I give the same as formally, I favor holding the ground already won, but I oppose any forward movement. My song is hold the fort, forgetting that the Lord never intended his army to take refuge in a fort. All his soldiers are commanded to go. And if I increase my offering beyond former years, then I favor an advanced movement in the conquest of new territory for Christ. And when I think of that, is is it's moving forward, not the cost of what it costs monetarily, but it's the cost of advancing the kingdom on earth, the kingdom of God in heaven on earth. You all know Uriah and... um, You know, it used to be when he was younger, I was, Uriah was my son. And then when he grew up and got into all of his endeavors before he got himself straight with the Lord, you know, he was in movies and television and music and all kinds of things as a young adult in the Philippines because of his ability to speak the languages and television series. And then after a while, every time I went to the city to be with him, oh, you're Uriah's dad. I, I We sh- shifted roles, as Luke said earlier. And so now you you know Raya, and I, I had to go to a couple of places where Raya had already done ministry, and I said, hey, people, please um, don't expect something from me that equates to Uriah because I don't have the energy, and I don't have the giftings as Uriah. And, uh, of course, you know I don't have the hair. But if you've seen any recent postings of Raya, um, I have the hair and he doesn't now. You know, one of his men in ministry said to him, oh, Raya, Pastor Raya, you are a very wealthy man. He says, why is that? He says, because you own a runway. Because he was losing his hair there and he cut off all of his dreadlocks. And so he's, you know, he's white snowcap. So then after he cut off the dreadlocks of the other one of the other men in his missionary team says to him, "Uncle Raya, or Pastor Rai, you are more than a rich man. Why? He says, you're very wealthy. Why? He says, because you own the airport. So I can't compete with Raya, and I don't have a heart to compete with Raya, but I will say this. He gets all of his, mu- his musical ability from his mother, but he gets his tenacity for preaching Jesus, I believe, from me. Because we love to go and preach Jesus. We love to go share. And so I was thinking, that I'd like to probably say um, my message or what I would say is, is, what is your story? Okay? We all have a story, amen? And everybody's story is different. And everyone's story is just as great as the last story. Okay? Not one story is more important than the other. In Psalm 27, verse 1 through 3, it says, though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. I will be confident in what God is doing in our lives. I realized that um, I was kind of emotionally and spiritually tired. I tried to figure out what I was doing this today and My heart and my spirit was all over the place because I was in constant communication with my three children because of um, the health condition of my wife. And each of them have questions to ask and each of them have concerns and are we doing the right thing? Are we not doing enough? Should I be out traveling? Should I be there? And I'm, I'm just simply saying, you know, If God desires me to be there, I'll be there in 24 hours. If not, God will make a way and keep things just the way we're going. I'll hold on to my schedule. But I do know this, is that when we stand individually before God, we will most likely stand some with trembling and maybe some with fear. So many things might be running through our minds when we stand before God. What will God say to me? I always ask that. Will he have found us faithful and say well done and good faithful servant or will he say we fell short God won't ask us what we ask us what we've accomplished in our life the accomplishments are not the, the necessity of what I do and why I do it our life shall be the answer to that without us having to amplify all the things that may have we may have done that will make us seem good But in reality, God has seen all things. God is well aware of all the things. God will ask us one question, and that is the same question he'll ask everyone who calls Jesus Lord. He'll say, what have you done with the gift that I have given you? I've been in the mission field 28 years, and every day I've shared the gift that God gave with me. Not every day did somebody accept the gift. But every day I made sure I shared the gift with at least one person. And sometimes I'll share that gift with that person again the next time I see him and the next time I see him. And I won't stop sharing that gift until he does no no longer come around me or until he does surrender his life to Jesus. From my personal perspective, what we have done with the gift becomes the story of our success, not only as Christians, but also as a ministry. What will be the story of success in our lives? We each can ask that question. What will be the story of success in our life? For some, it might be working in ministry. For others, it might simply be that of being a faithful provider, husband, father, a wife, whatever, okay? Because all of our stories are different. Are we doing what God has asked us to do with the gift? With some difficult things going on in our lives, I occasionally have to step back and I have to ask myself, am I doing all that I can possibly do? according to what God has called me to do. And the same question I think he'll ask of any of us. I've been asked in the past 28 years, what is the story of success in the ministry for 28 years? What is the story of your success in ministry? It's also the same matter that is in the story of my 48 years of being a Christian. I tell people, you know... uh, Every March comes around, and I have a new birthday, and this year I said, I'm 48 years old, and everybody stopped and looked at me, and I, some of them were thinking, how can you be 48 years old? I said, don't judge me by what I look like. I have to look at myself in the mirror every day. I know what I look like. I said, but I'm 48 years old in Christ Jesus. 48 years ago, I gave my life to the Lord, and I haven't stopped, and I haven't looked back since. And I have the same tenacity and the same uh, excitement about Jesus as I did when I went to the mission field at 40. Yeah, how old is he now? Well, I'm 68 last week. 68, but I still feel like 40. I still work as hard, though I work slower, but I'm still on fire and I'm excited. Why? It's because Jesus is alive. I understand that God is is on the throne. Jesus is alive, and the devil's been defeated, okay? And that's where I am. I can do what I do because I have been dedicated to what God has called me to do in my life. It's the name of Jesus, okay? Invoking the name of Jesus on everything. When I began my walk with Jesus, I told myself this is not... A life, uh, uh, not a lifestyle. It must be my life. It's not a lifestyle. It's my life. I've been spending some time with my mother the last 10 days. She's almost 89. And I asked her, I said, do you remember when I was 18 years old and um, I became a Christian? I said, do you remember what you said to me? And she says no, I don't remember what I said to you, but I know that it made you leave home. I said, do you want to know what you said to me? She said, yes. I said, when I became a born-again Christian, you said to me, if you want to be a Jesus freak, that's fine. Take your things and leave my house. Well, I loved my mother when I was 18. I, I was just about to finish high school. I honored her, so I took my things and I left home. And as I left, she said, "Uh, you know, when you get hungry, you'll be back. I never got hungry. She said, when you get lonely, you'll be back. I never got lonely. When it gets cold and it's snowing, you'll be back. I never got cold. Because something I learned then that has kept me going this whole time in my life is my God promised he'd never leave me or forsake me. And I could live without my mother, but I could not live without my Jesus. And so I've held on to that all these these years, and my mother said, you know, I'm sorry. I did things not so well back then because I was not in a good place in my own life. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. the joy of the Lord is my strength. As Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. King David said in Psalm 43.4, God is my exceeding joy. There was no turning back. There was no other way than to look straight ahead and move always towards God. I have purposed in the beginning to love and put in practice those things that would perpetuate an ongoing love affair. I sometimes wish I had understood it more then and I could have done a better job, but the reality is, is I just have to remind myself that sometimes we go through the valleys, but there's always the mountaintop the high point of the mountain that we look over our lives and say, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What I learned then is that what I put into practice today and that becomes the secret of our success in ministry. These three three simple things are for the most part all that a person needs to follow Jesus and develop a lasting testimony that will reach beyond the boundaries of our lives. I want There to be a testimony that I serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my strength all the days of my life. That's all I want to be remembered by. So what I had to learn was to make sure, if we're going to make this work as a a missionary, was to learn how to know and hear the voice of God. Okay? Um, Going to the mission field, going to a country where I didn't speak a language, I knew nothing about the Philippine culture because I visited two weeks. Eight months later, I took my family and threw them into the mission field. And when I got there and got on a remote island where nobody wanted to live because it was the typhoon capital of the Philippines, I realized I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be a missionary. I do not know what to do. And I cried out to God, Lord, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do here. spiritual father in that time said to me, go find one man. Go find one young man and reproduce yourself in that one young man. Okay? And when you've done that, then you will reproduce others. And I adopted a young man, became my my right arm, 28 years, he's still with me, okay? But in those years, we understood the most important thing for us was to know the voice of God. That was something we had to train ourselves to do. We need to be in an active relationship with Jesus, and we need to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. And so we purpose that every day. He was a young man. He had about 30% English understanding when he came. So I got him a Bible exactly as mine, and we spent two or three hours every day. He would read a paragraph. I would read a paragraph, but it was in English. He learned to speak English effectively based upon the influence of living with an English man. I reproduced myself the best I could in him, and we learned how to listen to the voice of the Lord because if we're not listening to His voice, we'll be listening listening to some other voices, and some of those voices may not be speaking things that are to our greatest interest. Next thing was to learn how to discern the voice of God above all other voices. Amen. There's a lot of voices out there. Amen. Okay. There are so many voices, and most of them are voice are not voices of good sources. And then it was to learn how to obey the voice of God. You can hear it, you can learn it's the voice of God, but it's a matter of obeying the voice of God. And this was possibly the most difficult step to follow. We are true ancestors of the early Israelites, and even when things were going going well for them, they often forgot just how good God is. Amen? Forgot how good God was. And then we took the things that he did for us for granted and slipped backwards or sideways into listening to the wrong things. See, God has a calling for each of us. Amen? I was telling Miss Evelyn, she's celebrating her 75th birthday. I said, so you're only three-quarters of the way there. Okay? But God's not finished. You could still be a missionary. I was sharing with her for a moment as I have a, young lady in my life that I've known for 25 to 30 years. And she was a young missionary that was sent out from England when she was 16 years old. And Smith Wigglesworth laid hands on her and ordained her and sent her out at 16 to go pastor a church of which she never returned home from. And her whole life was traveling the world as a missionary. And I met her and she was Older, but still very young in her spirit. And I became very attached to her because she had so much wisdom. And I loved to sit by and listen to her as she spoke in her true English dialect. And it was very, very good. She lives up in Abbotsford, B.C. And I went to visit her a number of years ago in her home. And Uriah and I went there and had a delightful time with her. Then I... Went back a few years later because her son had moved her into a government care facility because of social medicine requirements in Canada. And when I went to see her, she said, I am so, so disappointed here because I cannot preach like I used to preach. They won't let me preach. She said, if I was just a little younger, you could adopt me and take me home to the Philippines. Well, she was 100 years old. Then I called before pandemic to find out was she still alive? You know, I, I hadn't, can't communicate with her because she couldn't hear no more. But I wanted to know, you know, was she still alive? Well, that was when she was 105. And I hadn't called for a long time and I was apprehensive to call. I wanted to know not if she was alive, but when did she pass so I could update my records and let all the churches who were associated to her know, you know, let them know that this lady lived her whole life. And the young man at, on the phone said to me, "I remember you. You're the the guy from the Philippines." I said, "Yes," and I said, "I want to know if Miss, if Miss Ruby, or actually," said I said, I, I want to know." I'm sure she must have passed by now. I want to know when she passed. He says, he started laughing at me. He says, Miss Ruby is still alive. <laughs> I said, She just had her birthday in October. Yes, and she's now 108 years old. See, our days are numbered. God knows. So, Miss Evelyn, you never know. You still have a voice, amen, and God can do amazing things because we all have a calling, each one of us. Remember, he created us and intended for us to live a purpose-filled life. For the ministry to succeed, I had to know what was my calling as a missionary and as a pastor, and then I had to learn how to follow that calling. For your spirituality to succeed, you need to apply yourself to that. The stage of life that Christ has you in and let Him develop in you what He has planned for you. I didn't go with an agenda, I go, I went with a willing spirit, a yielded spirit. And I purpose not to let my own agenda get in the way of God, remembering that you know you might see yourself doing one thing, and God uses all of that, what you have done up to that point, just to make sure. You're ready to be used for what he really wants you to be used for. He may use us and our plans only for the development of his plans to become full circle. The other thing is is always to be a holder of vision. I consider myself a pretty good visionary, but I always have more vision than I have sources to fulfill. But I'm still a visionary. I've always got a plan. I've always got something in my mind. I need to know what was the vision that God had given me in the beginning. And I wrote that down years ago. And when I went through dry season, I had a journal and it sat on the shelf. And whenever I went through those dry seasons of the struggles of being a missionary, my son June, my adopted son, would go to my library shelf and pull out that journal. And he would throw it on the table in front of me. He says, it's time to read the vision again. It's time to refresh your spirit by the vision that God gave you when you started. And so every few years, he would make sure that it was just a procedure that I did every few years. And the last typhoon we had, uh, the, actually the 2016 Twight typhoon that we had, and literally half of our house was removed. And... My whole library and everything was gone. And he said to me, are we going to make it without the journal? And I said, you know, this far into it, I don't need the journal to remind me what my calling is. It's so very planted in my heart and my spirit. I don't need the journal to remind me. A good leader needs to be a visionary. We need to be able to look ahead once we have heard heard the Lord speaking to us okay we need to look ahead so we can see where it is that God is taking us not only just personally but also as a church as a mission so for now the time and the place where God took took over this is the time and the place where God took over and i gave up being lord of my own life literally saying it's not my will but your will be done and so in 28 years we've been through seven of the worst recorded typhoons of the country. And five times, we've lost almost everything. And five times, God provided what we needed to keep going. Because I used to argue with God in the early typhoons, how many times must we rebuild? Because we'd build churches, we'd build houses, and it would all be taken away. God, how how many times must I rebuild? And God said, you have never rebuilt. You have always been just building. He says, you've always been building. And it's not the structures, but it's the foundation of faith and the people that live here. I remember in the very first typhoon that I experienced there, and it was pretty devastating to me, and that was a baby compared to what we've experienced since. And I went out to our small churches in the jungle villages and the people were so happy to see me. And they said, "Um, how long are you staying? I said, well, I'm here all day. I'm here to help you recover. I'm here to do whatever I can to help you. But every time another person, Brother Rob, it's so good to see you. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. How long are you staying? And it took me all day long before finally one of the young men explained to me what they were asking what they were asking is, when are you leaving? Because all the missionaries in the past left days after their typhoon hit. And I thought, oh my goodness. How could you ever leave? How could you ever be the, the encouragement to show these people how to finish the race? My purpose, I would never leave. A little elderly lady in the church came up to me after the storm and she, I said to her, um, Mama Guti, her name Guti, I want to know in spite of what we have gone through and you are out there on those mountainsides salvaging things that might remain from your house. And I knew she had lost a son in a typhoon years earlier. And she got up close and took me by the shirt and she says, Brother Rob, You have a choice. You can choose to live anywhere in the world you want to. I don't have that choice. She says, the only choice I have is I can choose to do this with joy or I can be angry. She changed my life. She changed my life because if she could do this and the joy of the Lord was her strength, I purpose that the joy of the Lord would always be my strength. God called us to teach the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us. That was to bring people out of the dark and into the light and teach them how to stay in the light. But you see, people living in the dark love the dark more than they like the light. Sometimes it's not easy. But we still work at bringing people into the light. God called us to be different in our style of ministry. We don't look like other churches and we don't do church like other churches. We don't compete with other churches. We find the loss, lead them to Christ, and build the body of Christ with the new believers that we labored for. We don't bring people in from other churches. We try not to let whatever reason they had for leaving another church become possible contamination within our own body of Christ. We don't reject anybody. We're going through a new struggle right now. We're trying to find the balance of, you know, in in the Philippine culture there, there's the he's, the she's, and the she it's, or the he she's. And everybody needs Jesus, Amen. So we're trying to find our balance in in churches. How do we welcome them in? And how do we integrate them into the body of Christ and change them without them changing or influencing the younger people in our church? And we can only do that by loving them, by loving them and holding holding them accountable to what the word of God says not what your culture says or what society says, but what the word of God is. And it's a new strain on me. Um, It's a new challenge for me. I love them. I don't love what they're doing. I don't love who they're portraying to be. But their influence in that culture, just like much of what's being influenced in the culture of North America. We don't get involved with other churches, businesses, or problems. We don't listen to gossip, and we don't participate in church politics. We have a mission that we've been called to, and that's all we can do well for the glory of the Lord. It's called minding our own business, so to speak. It's minding our own business, okay? God's never also God's never told uh, told me never forget our failures, and we've had a lot of failures. I had a lot to learn about being a missionary. I've had some failures. But the important thing is, is to learn from them because they're not fatal. Amen? They are intentional for the purpose of learning how to do what God has called us to do, doing it better. Amen? God has been wonderful in overlooking the failures and bringing us to a new level. Never focus on where we have come from. But look back to where we are, but look to where we're going. Amen. Look where we're going. There's still much ahead to do. We keep our eyes on the Lord because He's always before us. Build a good ministry team. That's been the most difficult thing. But as you will find out on the front counter, there are some little magnet cards that you're welcome to take. Put it on your refrigerator, stick it somewhere where it will remind you to pray for us. It's my team of pastors and their wives. God has blessed me with a great team. Build a good ministry team. It took me years. See, success in ministry is never about one man. It's about the team we build to do the mission. Amen. Jesus had a great team of disciples. We pattern ourselves as best we can after that. We make new disciples, and remember, we don't own those disciples. Um, I've had to experience sending out some of my best. Uriah was one of my best, and um, God called him to move five islands away, 450 miles, by crow fly. Well, this old guy didn't like it. I needed him. I needed his giftings. I needed his talents. I needed his strength. I needed him. But God needed him more to go where he was going. And he says, you know, Dad, I've got to go back to Behold, where they had the earthquake, and continue to build homes for widows and orphans and preach the gospel. I said, but I need you here. He said, not as much as they need me there. He says, I can go And endure a five to six minute earthquake, he says, more than I can endure a 12 to 16 hour typhoon. Well, that was a pretty good idea, right? Until he had his typhoon a year ago. As you probably heard stories from him. But we make disciples who will go out and make disciples, who will go out and make disciples, who will go out and make disciples. They belong to Jesus. And they're to be sent out to do what we have been doing all these years. And above all else, remember to give all the glory back to the Lord. Amen. All the glory to the Lord Almighty. In teaching people about Jesus, I found it's impossible. It's important to tell people about Jesus, but I never ask them if they want to get saved. You won't find me doing too many altar calls in church because I want to make sure that People get saved for the right reason. I will tell people you need Jesus. And when you've decided you need Jesus, you come talk to me and we'll make sure you get to where you're supposed to be. But I just won't say, bow your head and raise your hand and I'll pray for you to receive Jesus. Because whatever you do in the dark, whatever you do in private, is so easy to undo when you get the pressure of your friends and your family on you. And in, in some cultures where Other religions are very strong and very dominating. But if you can lead somebody to Christ because they know that's what they need to do, you've got somebody who's saved and will stay saved. Unless a person knows his own need and searches for the solution to the need, knock and the door will be open. People often get born again for the wrong reasons. Salvation isn't enough. It's it's only the first part of a person's Christianity. Salvation is never the destination. It's only the place where it all begins. Many people say they believe in Jesus, but what good is believing without trusting? And If there's anything I do, it's teaching people how to trust Jesus. Many say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but never surrender everything to him. This is why there's a lot of, not a lot of change in a lot of people's lives, okay? We are the byproduct of our choices. If you can't say you belong to Jesus when you've never let go of your own life, if you never let go of your own life, he cannot transform you into what he wants you to be. And I had to learn that, and I teach that. So salvation is more about the total surrender of everything you are and everything you have and everything you ever hoped to be. And I am truly who I am by the grace of God. We are who we are are as a ministry, Touch of Grace Ministries Philippines. We are who we are because we've been faithful from the start, guarded our hearts and left everything up to Jesus. We have ears to hear, two hands and one heart to do the work. Therefore, we are Jesus in the flesh doing what we can do here on earth to build the great kingdom of God. That's our success, staying focused, staying with it, keep our hand to the plow. I've always said we want to be careful. It's very easy to, be, to have become better at being church but worse at seeing his kingdom come. We need to be more than just better at churching. We really need to be seeing the kingdom of God come in the lives of people. I'm grateful for what God has done in our ministry. I have a lot of vision. God has really blessed us this last year. We've had the opportunity of working with Samaritan's Purse International after our big typhoon in 2020, and then I had the opportunity to help Raya also because Samaritan's Purse contacted me that they wanted to help Uriah and Behold last year with their typhoon, and so we have been blessed to be able to partnership with such a great Christian humanitarian ministry, and God poured out multiple blessings on us because we have given ourselves to the ministry. And I know that I teach my church. I'm telling the church all the time. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We're going through some struggles in our family. But we're staying focused the best we can on what God has at hand. Um, Chris's health is very critical right now. And she has been back in the United States about... 10 days. She is down in New Mexico with our daughter there. And so um, we're standing by. We're standing by. My oldest daughter called me late this evening before I came to church and she said, um, Can I ask you a question, Dad? I said, um, Yes, you can. She said, Will you be honest? I said, Well, as best I can be. And she said, I would like to know, is it possible that we could lose mom before Christmas? I said, yes, it's possible. At the rate she's deteriorating, it's possible. But you know what? God is still on the throne. Jesus is alive. And the devil's been defeated. And we're going to stay the course we're going to keep our eyes on the cross and trust that whatever will be will be God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan, and that's where we are. And I'm going to stay stay focused on what's important. And so we covet your prayers and we thank you for them. We thank you for having us this many years as part of your family. We're glad you're part of ours. We're very thankful for the support, not just financially, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually that comes out of this church. We're thankful for the relationships, the personal relationships that we've had with many of you, for many of you who have invested and come to the mission field. We're thankful for all of that because you have impacted the lives of the people on our island and Uriah's Island, and we know the best is yet to come. So, Father, I thank you for our Maranatha Church, and I thank you for everyone who goes to church here. I thank you for them being part of the family, that the purpose of this church is to make this family strong, and the plan is to let this church continue to glorify and build and grow the kingdom of God. Let them reach out. Let them reach far. Let them touch lives. Let them touch the strong, the weak, the healthy, the sick. Let them touch the life of everyone that each one of them comes into contact with. Continue to bless Maranatha. Continue to grow it. and Continue to let it shine for the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's sing the doxology before we go. Shall we do that? All right. If you don't know it, try to follow along. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight. We'll see you on Sunday.